I mean, previously, last week, we kept identifying what we know know is Alligator Loki because we got confirmation as Alligator or Crocodile Loki, possibly. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like we got some Crocodile erasure here uh, by them officially (laughs) addressing him as an alligator? Consistently addressing him as an alligator. Yeah, yeah. Not even bringing up the idea that he could potentially be a crocodile. Like, they know off the bat. Yeah, yeah. I mean... Crocky, I think, is probably a better name for him than uh, whatever you can come up with alligator. It doesn't. I would call him Albert. Um... (laughs) (laughs) That doesn't rhyme. No. Well, Ali. His nickname would be Ali. Like Albert Gator. You know, Albert T. Gator the (laughs) third. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Cree and Scroll of all ages, welcome to the MCU Beyond Infinity podcast, a show where fellow like-minded Marvelites have assembled to discuss, review, theorize, and wax intellectual over any and all things related to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. My name is John, and I'm thrilled to be joined by my co-host and fellow god of outcast, burdened with glorious purpose, Travis. To explore Loki, Episode 5, Journey into Mystery. Coming off the huge reveal last week, seeing the TVA's supreme leaders, the Timekeepers, exposed as nothing more than mindless androids by way of beheading, we were curious to see what was in store for this week's penultimate episode of the Disney Plus series. So now, Travis, on all of our past miniseries, both with WandaVision and the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, we both pretty much have been in agreement that the second to last, quote unquote, penultimate episode of all of these Disney Plus series has been the strongest and most engaging of any of them. Does that trend kind of track here after watching Journey into Mystery, episode five of Loki? Yes. Yes, uh, it does for me. Uh, though episode four is very close uh, to being as good. Uh, it's kind of a, almost flip a coin. Uh, yeah, almost. absolutely. It kind of, the plot kind of ramps up to this fever pitch where all of our theories and everything that we've been speculating about kind of starts to come to a head. We're getting more and more reveals as the time is dwindling down for what's left. And also we've been in agreement on the past Disney plus miniseries with WandaVision and Falcon and the winter soldier that the finales never really lead up to the expectations of the penultimate episode, even though we have adored everything to date, Mm -hmm. but we've also spoken about that kind of being the nature of superhero and comic book and serialized storytelling where they never really do have an end, but we get these characters that we're just going to see later down the road in the place that they should be towards the end, this natural progression for the franchise. So I really enjoyed this episode as well. And I agree with you that it tracks this end episode for equally had been 
the most explosive, the most revealing, the most plot driven. And especially here, we kind of see the plot moving towards what seems to be its inevitable conclusion of who the TVA are. Like they're keeping that mystery still for next week. Like what mm-hmm. and who and how created the time variance authority. We still have that. But again, um, oh, I spaced out. It was great. It was a great fucking episode, basically, is where, where I'm getting. Um, being titled Journey into Mystery also very obviously taken from the comic book series uh, where readers were first introduced to the debut of Thor. I think it's from like 1952. It's one of the earlier Marvel series post Atlas, if I, I'm not wrong. Um, and also, you know, by the end of the episode, we see Sylvie and loki kind of taking their own journey into mystery themselves entering the realm of the unknown beyond the void to find the head of the tva um episode was directed by kate heron who had done the entire series she's doing all six of the episodes kind of curiously this episode was written by a gentleman named tom kaufman who had created a show for channel 101 called ikea heights so are you are you familiar with channel 101 at all travis do you know what this is i i do not i have not had the cable in years and years and i yeah no i do okay it's actually like it's not very popular it's an la uh public access kind of sketch thing where a lot of the Upright Citizens Brigade from the West Coast mm. and the Largo comedy scene kind of treaded water with these very amateur sketch shows and comedy programs. It's where Comedy Bang Bang came from. Dan Harmon was actually in charge of it uh, with Scott Ackerman from Comedy Bang Bang. And the show that Tom Kaufman, who wrote this episode, created Ikea Heights. It starred Matt Bronger, but it also starred a very, very young Randall Park, who played Jimmy Woo. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of these Rick and Morty guys. Obviously, the creator of the show, Michael Waldron, you know, he's also uh, one of the writers on Rick and Morty, which was co-created by Dan Harmon, who also was co-creating Channel 101 back in the day. And I like that comedic sensibility these really smart comedy guys getting involved in marvel we saw it with like taika you know and mm-hmm. and some of their other picks for who they're having write these things and who oh what's his name wrote ant-man um uh, peyton reed uh adam uh, no, mckay no. Yeah. and paul yeah, rudd yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you. yeah but still like you know those are comedy guys and mm-hmm. I I think it's a bright move because one of the complaints with the Marvel Cinematic Universe is that the comedy doesn't always work for some people. I personally disagree, and I like that levity. I kind of understand where they're coming from, but I don't try to be the most self-serious person, and I do enjoy how much comedy they infuse into these things, and they're getting good people to do it as well, legitimate comedic minds legitimate smart minds legitimate cinematic minds and it's just kind of more examples of you know the mcu getting the right people for the right jobs yeah always always from cast to crew i I agree like i enjoy the humor uh it is a little overdone at times like stepping on a serious moment on occasion but i mean it's 
the price you pay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> With humor, you have to take a lot of bites of the apple sometimes. It's, uh, Obviously, it's always subjective, especially yeah. humor almost more than anything is subjective. And yes. I failed to mention humor James Gandhi. Horror. Yes, humor and horror. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, I neglected to mention James Gunn when I brought up Taika and all of these guys and, and Adam McKay and Peyton Reed and Paul Rudd, obviously, too. But, you know, James Gunn coming from the Trauma. lowest of the low. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I kind of love that. Uh, I mean, Louis Coffin is in a Marvel movie because of them picking up James Gunn. Uh yeah, it's kind of incredible. I have friends and um, and even actually people who I've worked on with my own creative endeavors in, in film um, who have worked for Troma as yeah, yeah. interns and stuff. You know, being in New York, they're right over in Jersey and it's it's just right over there for us. And they're always kind of, you want an unpaid internship? Here you go. <laughs> you know, you want some experience, kid? Pick it up. Yeah, um, yeah. And also, it kind of comes, uh, well, with trauma, like the link to Marvel isn't that far off. Uh, I don't know if you're aware, but Lloyd Coffin and Stanley, I don't know if they were roommates, but they were definitely in college together. Wow. Concerts. So, yeah, they, they knew each other. And, yeah, yeah, uh, both are salesmen. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Uh, the big difference being uh, Marvel is owned by Disney and Troma um, makes um, porn shoots look good. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you know yes. what I mean? Uh, the professionalism there, yes. Uh, yeah. Um, let's get into the episode a little bit. The opening shot was kind of incredible from a cinematography standpoint, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. There's a similar kind of rotating shot famously in Black Panther yes. where Ryan Coogler yeah. came into the throne room with the camera rotating. But the episode does begin with the camera upside down, rotating from the halls of the TVA into the timekeepers throne room, symbolizing much how the perception of the timekeepers has been inverted. You know, the timekeepers no longer are on top. Loki's mm-hmm. entire world's turned upside down, realizing he has found seemingly the love of his life within himself being Sylvie, Sylvie's long thought plan suddenly changing as she realizes that the space Muppets were just mindless androids all along. And even Ravona Renslayer's world kind of being thrown upside down because she's seemingly in the dark as to what the hierarchy of the TVA even is at this point. Um, The camera kind of continues to swirl going through the post-apocalyptic landscape that we left off on last week. And a recently prone, bleh, recently prone, a recently pruned Loki awakens, face down by variant forms of himself. Loki asking some simple questions, same thing that any of us would ask: What is this place? What is that? And who are you? Referring to an ominous, decently CGI rendered Galactus-looking smoke monster, <laughs> <laughs> and our classic Loki, played by famed character and actor Richard E. Grant in some amazing pajamas, says. This is the void. That is Eliath, and we are his lunch. Before we cut to the title credits, and mm-hmm. there is a lot to unpack just in the first twenty seconds of this episode, Travis. It's so yes, crazy. I mean, it is maybe the most Easter egg heavy thing the more MCU has ever done. Like this episode in particular, like there's just so much of it. Uh, also, like Smoke Monster uh, is very glad to see, but it works here for me uh 
because Allied isn't like this uh, uh, iconic character, and it is pretty accurate to the way he's depicted in the comics. He's like his smoke monster. They actually gave him a little bit more character here with the uh, the dog skull or whatever the hell it is. Uh, what did you think of his look? I mean, it's smoke. <laughs> it, it's, uh, the CGI looks good on it. Uh, and I I like the smoky skull. I, I thought it was like a dragon, personally. But yes, I've seen a lot of people say dog. So. Some of the rendering reminded me of uh, uh, Sator from the Ragnarok mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, in the comics, you mentioned it before, Eliath is just this big purple void that kind of transcends time and space and it's tightly linked to Ravona Renslayer. We joked maybe the first or second episode whenever Renslayer and Judge Gugu Mbatha-Ra's character appeared about are they adapting the Terminatrix saga and we chuckled because it's just a silly early 90s idea but so much of this comes from a comic book series from an Avengers run known as the Terminatrix saga which involves um Renslayer freeing Eliath by accident and during these events, she kind of goes to the Avengers for help. But then we have realized she's eventually just this pawn that's being used by Kang, the love of her life, quote unquote, to get to the Avengers. Hashtag Kang gang. We'll get more <laughs> and more into it. Famous last words on the show. Yeah, yeah. I mean, right from this establishing shot, there are hints to Kang beyond just the alliance and stuff like that. And you see... What I assumed was the uh, Stark Industries, like the Stark Tower, but it's actually King Enterprises with a Q E. Yes. Uh, but yeah, yeah, uh, King did run that in the comics yeah, under his Mister Griffin persona, but it's a pretty minimal effort in the uh, the hiding who was really behind that. Ah. <laughs> uh, I mean, we think so. Remember yeah, yeah. when we were talking Mephisto? Yeah, I don't mean in the show. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It could be another Mephesto, you know what I mean? When it, it was Agatha all be. along or whatever, you know? I do feel like the uh, the references are more blatant here. And we'll get more into it as we go along. Uh, they get so blatant. And yes, we will get into it as we go more along. But I am crossing my fingers and my toes that by the end of this thing, we see Jonathan Majors in some crazy green and purple fucking yes, get up yes. looking uh, like a motherfucking time traveling super conqueror mm-hmm. that would be amazing <laughs> I, I want i want the uh the blue part of the face mask too i don't know how how they'll do that if they do it but i mean we've already gotten the timekeepers that look just as silly but uh and they looked awesome they looked amazing. They looked like giant Lorax space Muppet gods. It was crazy. Yes. I mean, even when they, they really got the mileage out of the Muppets, too. Uh, <laughs> showing the, uh, the separate head again this episode. Uh, it, was, it was pretty stellar. And for all of this to happen, you know, within a couple seconds, basically, just here's where we are. Here's what's going on. Here's what we got to do. Bong, like right off the bat, really like strong opening again in line with the previous Disney plus miniseries, having the penultimate episode be the kind of 
the big one that kind of puts all the two strings together and we're almost there. Um, it feels like such like this climactic thing. You know what I mean? It's, um, mm-hmm. I don't like to complain about it, but a lot of people always kind of say they'll love a superhero movie. And then the third act is kind of weak, right? Um, where it kind of just falls back into CGI fly in the sky, gobbledygook battles. So I'm hoping that we don't get that next week. And if we keep in tone with where the rest of this episode's going and how this episode began, I'm just really looking forward to figuring all of this out and seeing what the finale has to has to bring for us. Yes. Yeah, I uh, I don't usually have an issue with the, the CGI gobbledygook finishes. <laughs> uh, in general, I, I'm, I'm, I enjoy that stuff. Like, it's, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's uh, why I buy this ticket. That's why course. I subscribe to Disney Plus. Of you course. know what I mean? Yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, do an- I do anticipate that we're not going to get a lot of closure in this series. And like, yeah, I'm already kind of bracing for it. Yeah, I maybe less than WandaVision and Falcon and Winter Soldier, really. Uh, I, I just don't see... Uh, I see maybe Ravana being... Uh, defeated, but I don't see you know, like the big bad uh, finishing up here. I guess. Uh. Yeah, I don't see that either, and I wouldn't mind that either. Again, the secular nature of comic book and superhero stories is to lead us from one big bad to the other, or you know, you're fighting the bad guy, but then you find out there's a bigger bad guy, and then you find out there's a bigger bad guy behind that, and. Do, do you think Kang is going to inevitably be either what Loki was to phase one for the fourth phase or even what Thanos was to the Infinity Saga, the first three phases or something along those lines? Do you think that he's going to be implemented and seeded throughout multiple films of this phase and possibly the next phase or two and be this kind of ultimate big bad? I don't see him as an ultimate big bad. Uh, I expect him to pop up here and there. Uh, I mean, in one of his personas. I, I imagine we'll be getting in more at the end of this. Uh, that, that's who my money's on, personally. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, I don't see him being a Thanos level threat. Uh, but who knows? Yeah, I uh, agree. I, I, I agree with you. I would like to see him stick around and his various personas stick yes. around for some time just to be a pain in the ass for yes. our heroes. Uh, yeah, I don't necessarily need to see him uh, become a hero the way Loki kind of has, but we'll see how it goes. Uh, I may change my mind. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, one of his personas did become Iron Lad, right? And yes. founded yes. the Young Avengers, which is kind of being set up, so... Yeah, yeah. he's not really in that yeah, series much. Like he's there at the beginning and then he kind of gets written out pretty quick. But, I mean, he is there. Yeah, I am with you. And I I would like to see him and his person. The, the, the MCU doesn't have enough convoluted time travel and its <laughs> continuity yet. I mean, and the X-Men the are X-Men. coming. Yeah, yeah, it's... Dog, the X-Men and the F4 are coming, and we are going to hit a fever pitch of confusing time travel nonsense. I feel. Okay, so, I guess we... 
uh, can take a little uh, conversational detour to talk about X Men time travel and uh, MCU. Do you want the uh, confusing time travel stuff in the movie version of the X Men? If it's on the path of something similar to what we're seeing happening right now with the Time mm-hmm. Variance Authority and Loki and Endgame, I do. Okay, I see. I don't mind a little bit of time travel, though. I I don't obviously I don't want the the continuity to be as confusing as the comics because I, I view that as just a, a byproduct of going on for decades, always yes. having to continue. The MCU doesn't have that burden. It does, it not yet. You know, it's only it's only twelve years old or whatever it is. So yes, give yes, it time, so. Travis. Uh, but um, I do want to see more time travel and science fiction introduced into the franchise, especially not so much just with the X Men, but with the Fantastic Four. Yeah, the yeah. space stuff and the cosmic end of things that are going on with uh, James Gunn's little pocket universe with the guardians i think there's a lot of room for headier bigger broader not only time travel but science fiction ideas to be introduced and ant-man as well you know we can't leave them out of it because we do know that the quantum realm is kind of this way to transcend time and space and Mm -hmm. and catalyze time travel it's been introduced as earth's way to utilize time travel technology so for this stuff to be seeded and planted we get armies of loki's in this episode we're getting multiverses introduced god knows what the fuck doctor strange 2 is going to do god knows what the fuck this spider-man movie is going to do it could be absolutely bonkers so yes i do want to see it no i don't want it to be as crazy and confusing (laughs) because i don't have the time of day to keep explaining to people what's happening with the x-men like i do in my normal life now Mm -hmm. um (laughs) so but yeah i I do want it there to some extent i'm with you um we head back to the tva headquarters next after the loki title card is uh displayed and after witnessing the beheading and subsequent reveal that the timekeepers TVA supreme end all be all rulers are nothing more than mindless androids. Renslayer declares to Sylvie that she's as in the dark as she is now sharing common interest. Who created the TVA? They both decide that finding the man behind the curtain is the way to go. Um, That's another wizard of Oz reference. I know we kind of talked about that a little bit with WandaVision. Um, There were a lot of wizard of Oz references, but very blatant there. Um, Renslayer playing both desperate and coy plays off Sylvie's emotions and lets her know that Loki is probably still alive and that when pruning a reality, it's impossible to destroy all of its matter. The prune victims kind of in line with reality where matter can't be created or destroyed. The law of conservation. Yeah. It's just physics, dude. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, Before we continue, I want to mention that this was a weird transition to me because of the, they're in such a similar situation from where we left off the last episode, but the setting is completely different. Uh, they're in like a completely different part of the TBA. Uh, they're no longer in the throne room. They're located in the, the time court. trial place, right? Yes. The court. Yes. Uh, Wonder how they got there. <laughs> well. well so during the spinning camera thing, Travis, do we see Renslayer walking out of the elevators in the beginning? Yeah, right? A little bit? 
I don't recall, actually. I, uh, I don't recall the elevator doors actually opening uh, or anything like that, uh, but my memory is shit, and it's been at least a day. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, it's been like 30 minutes since I watched it, and I can't remember it, so... Oh, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. The pruned victims, including our Loki, who I'm going to start calling Prime Loki every once in a while throughout the episode, listeners, and Travis. So um, so the pruned victims, including Prime Loki, are teleported to a dimension at the end of time known as the Void, seemingly never to return. Branch timelines are not reset. They're transferred to rot in the Void. They even say that the dogma of the TVA states that the end of time still being written and the timekeepers are transforming it into a utopia. This is where a visibly shook Renslayer tells Sylvie that she can help her if she trusts her. And Sylvie hands back over the temp pad that she had stolen previously during the lightsaber duel last week. <laughs> um, you want to talk about the void a little bit because while it's, not necessarily in the comics. We mentioned off air that uh, the void is a persona of the century, correct? Yes. Yeah. Whenever they first say it in this episode, I thought they were referring to something else, not just the location, but yeah, the void is one of, is a persona of the century and uh, he killed Loki in the comics, but uh, uh, but yes, yeah, so I thought maybe uh, it was a reference to that, but just there's no way that you could introduce the century at this point. No, uh, it I I kind of can't stop seeing the parallels between Loki's journey here from Thor's journey in Ragnarok, where oh yeah. you know he's brought into this like weird fascist dictatorship. And given a haircut and given a new outfit and then dumped on a garbage planet to kind of fend for himself. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Uh, kind of similar stuff here, um, even though, you know, this one doesn't have uh, David Bowie, Jeff Goldblum. Uh, it could, though. We don't know. <laughs> After Renslayer gets the temp head back from Sylvie and they've kind of joined forces you notice some immediate Easter eggs, not the biggest part of the Easter eggs when it goes back to the void. And what were they? Oh, uh, no, this was in the void. Uh, yeah. In the yeah, void. Yeah yeah. 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 It's a, uh, well, the scene with the UFO, you can see red stones escape pod in the background. And that kind of, uh, brings me to a point I wanted to make about how much I enjoyed that they, they seem to have like just laid out a map and just placed these Easter eggs where you can get a real sense of the geography of this world that they're on. Uh, mm-hmm. I enjoyed that. Uh, it, it's not something that every show does, it seems like, but they did here and it, it paid off for me. Uh, but yes, the Red Skulls escape pod from uh, the first Captain America movie uh, is in here. Uh, it crashed and they stand by it at one point. Uh, Do you think that them kind of, and the Red Skull rather, kind of fucking with the Cosmic Cube and stuff like that caused some sort of TVA Nexus event where in some timeline he got branched and brought to this void as well? Because he was messing with space-time also, you know? Yeah, there's no telling. I imagine lots of people that have messed with the Infinity Stones have wound up being pruned just 
the nature and power of them. It's not like uh, a character that really does nothing with their life uh, that would affect the grand scheme of the timeline. Uh, I would I, love myself. a Red Skull Easter egg. <laughs> <laughs> oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. I I would love to see the Red Skull again in general. Uh, He's the man behind the curtain. That would be dope. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when we get back to the void, we see an increasingly confused and bewildered Loki following his variant forums across the murky dystopian landscape that is the void. Uh, when kind of questioning everything around him, it appears that he does get the same answer to each question. Just don't die. Just don't die. Just don't die. The variant Lokis inform our prime Loki that the void is where the TVA dumps all of its rubbish and Eliath ensures that none of it returns. Uh, Richard E. Grant actually refers to it as a living temptus that consumes all matter and energy. Entire branch realities are devoured within instances. The void is a shark and we are in a shark. Oh no, the, the, the void is a shark tank and Eliath is the shark. Um, great line too. And this is where they acknowledge that the alligator from last week is in fact a variant form of Loki himself where the alligator makes some like hissing noise. And he's like, well, it wasn't an alligator tank. There's no such thing as an alligator tank. And this is a shark metaphor. It's a better metaphor anyway. And he's overly sensitive like the rest of us, which I thought it was, it was pretty cute, you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, alligator Loki in general was the highlight or one of the, uh, the highlights of this episode just throughout. Uh, there are other characters that have like bigger moments, but, uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed it uh, more than I expected to. And the CGI on him looks pretty decent for as much as he's moving around and stuff. Uh, yeah, I'd imagine working with an actual alligator would be <laughs> kind of difficult. I've heard horror stories of working with animals on set. I Have you ever seen The Witch, the uh, Robert Eggers movie? Yes, yes. Yeah, the, apparently. The goat, yeah. yeah, yeah, the goat that played black Phillip like fucked up a lot of the cast and the crew and was like relentless. Like he gorded the, the dude who played the dad. Yeah. Here's a, here's a fun child abuse story. A friend of mine, uh, their, <laughs> their stepdad, they had pet goats and fucking, uh, they, he talked them into letting him tie them to a tree or whatnot. And then he let this fucking go out and just beat the fuck out of them pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> Technically child abuse, I think, but yeah, it, it's also kind of funny because it's not able to do enough damage to really, like... <laughs> I agree. I think it's pretty fucked up, but it's also pretty funny. When I was a kid, I saw my uh, my dad had, like, a client who had, like, a bed and breakfast up in New Hampshire, and, like, we went up there every once in a while, and they had these horses that lived with them, and, like, the, the girls who lived there were like the same age as my sister and I and we went to go see the horses and I saw this girl get kicked in the head by a horse and it was oh, wow. the craziest thing I'd ever seen at that point in my life <laughs> oh my god after accepting the absurd scenario Loki asks his variants why are there so many of us and classic Loki declares because Loki survive that's what we do but they don't escape Survival is all there is. And the variants retreat into an underground kind of lair via a hatch. Again, much like Lost. Well, before they get to the uh, the hatch, there are a ton of more Easter eggs. This is where the episode started throwing Easter eggs at me so quickly that I felt like I couldn't breathe for a moment. 
Mm-hmm. Um, the first one I kind of noticed, well, it's not so much an Easter egg as it is. We do should acknowledge kid Loki and him kind of being in charge yes. when they ask, what was your Nexus event? Your majesty that got you here. He says he killed Thor we've talked about them setting up the young Avengers for some time. Now we've seen Cassie Lang. We've seen Wiccan. We've seen speed. We've seen Patriot. We know Kate mm-hmm. Bishop's coming. We know Kamala Khan is coming there. We have a full team at this point, And now we do have kid Loki and he's boss. Like he's absolutely wonderful in this episode. Yes. Yes. Uh, but we should acknowledge the Thanos copter here. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, I mean, such a silly little, uh, bit of, Marvel lore. <laughs> it is such a silly little bit of Marvel lore. It's always been mentioned in jest as a joke or sarcastically. Yeah, yeah. You see it in atomic Facebook groups as a meme and stuff like that. And just to see it get the live action treatment is amazing. And mm-hmm. then they don't even let you breathe before they, they throw another silly Marvel thing that's awesome to see to see in live action, which is Throg. Uh, the mighty throg. throg. Yes, the mighty throg. Uh, I Two mean, hilariously uh, absurd things introduced back to back within ten seconds of one another. Yeah, yeah, and we talked about him last week because you asked if I thought we might get a Pet Avengers uh, movie or show or something, and I thought uh, maybe CGI like the Groot uh, show <laughs> or uh, Disney Plus thing and yeah not even a week later and we get him in live action which is wild uh, it's amazing it's a, it's absolutely incredible um the thanos copter doesn't have many appearances from the comic books no, no. Uh, um it had debuted post thanos's introduction it was not written or drawn by jim starland it was part of a March 1979 issue of an anthology series called Spidey's Super Stories number 39, where it was just like five little short stories, one of which was uh, featuring Patsy Walker, the Hellcat, basically chasing down Thanos on his path to steal the Tesseract and the Cosmic Cube. Um, I mentioned off air to you that it has been brought back jokingly in an issue of Deadpool rather recently Mm -hmm. where Thanos hires Deadpool to help him find the cosmic cube and Thanos Deadpool comes and picks him up in the Thanos copter. It's a little yellow toy helicopter looking thing flown by a giant purple space tyrant. It's incredible that it exists and Throg again As the variants are descending underground via the hatch, the camera moves down with them. We first see Molnir hidden in the dirt, and then we see a little frog dressed as Thor in basically the bottled city of Kandor looking glass thing, jumping around, uh, reaching for Molnir with his funny cape on. Um, The jar is labeled T-365. Interestingly enough, Throg did debut in Thor issue 365, so that is another Easter egg. There's also, with this particular character, there was apparently a cutscene where we would have seen Throg a lot earlier in the time theater, and he would have been pummeling Loki. Uh, And they filmed it, but it didn't make the final cut. So I would have loved to have seen that 
one of the things I kind of love the most in the Ant-Man movies are like little things beating up really big things. Yes, yes. Uh, I think it's hilarious. It's a fun gag. Mm-hmm. I think the premise of Throg is incredible. I think opening up the world to, and especially the viewership, and getting us used to these really weird freaking things mm-hmm. is kind of making the case for Beta Ray Bill a little bit more apparent also. Mm-hmm. Uh, so fingers crossed, man. The other really big Easter egg that we got here is when the camera pans back a bit, we see a gigantic yellow jacket helmet. Um, We haven't seen Darren Cross since the first Ant-Man movie, but at the end of that movie, Scott Lang shrinks him down into the microverse. Is Oh, the quantum realm is what they call it. Yep. So we already know that the quantum realm facilitates time travel in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Darren Cross and the actor Corey Stoll are rumored to be returning in Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania soon. We also know that Jonathan Majors is set to play Kang in Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania coming soon. Part of me is thinking, like, did Cross end up here after being shrunk down into the quantum realm? Has he grown and popped out somehow in this realm? Yeah. So I mean, that would be dope. They make it in the first Ant-Man movie. They make it sound like it's a death sentence shrinking down to the quantum realm. But out of the people we know that went, uh, Yellow Jacket is the only one that we haven't seen again. Like the Wasp and Ant-Man are both made return trips. Uh, and, I mean... And all of the Avengers in Endgame, they yes, used it to yes. get back so and forth. It's like, yeah. uh, much more viable. <laughs> like, you can get out of there. Just how you dictate where you jump out at the end is the problem. So jumping out at the end of all time and existence, yeah. maybe, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I, I would like to see Yellow Dragon... Uh, if for no other reason than he has one of the coolest uh, MCU uh, villain suits, but that's just my opinion. I think so too. He's got like the best of the mirror suits, you know, like when you, you and your friend both choose. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) When both you and your friend choose Scorpion and one of you is like a different colored version of Scorpion. You know what I mean? Uh, um, and we again, we've seen a lot of that in Marvel, where you know, Iron Man just yes. comics in general. They're just fighting another version of themselves, but colored differently. You know, so um, the, Loki and his variants make their way under the hatch. They pop out in what appears to be some sort of bowling alley-like sanctuary, and um, Loki gets mocked for wishing to return to the TVA. The other Lokis saying, is that where you left your glorious purpose? We flash back to TVA headquarters where we last saw Renslayer and Sylvie hanging out in the time court. And we see Ravona pull something that we've been asking for for some time, Travis. She uses the Miss Minutes feature on the Tempad um, in order to kind of remote access a series of restricted files from the TVA's Jedi Council archives. But on what? Ooh, doggy. On the beginning of time and the founding of the TVA. Sylvie questions her about what happens at the end of time, positing that the void perhaps isn't the end and that there could be something beyond it. 
how'd you feel about the miss mittens miss minutes button being used travis i uh, i haven't seen it i'm curious to see if we see the person behind miss minutes at some point in this series uh i mean i, I want to say that the person playing him is primarily a voice actress but uh i, I wouldn't mind seeing her and I'd like to know what she thinks about living in weird uh, castles at the end of time. <laughs> <laughs> she looks like Clippy, the little annoying Windows yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah. I, I would doubt if that was an inspiration for <laughs> And she functions very much like Clippy, where she's kind of going through the folders. Yeah, yeah. And they're kind Stalin of on this like Rolodex. Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, it, it is it is pretty fucking cool. I got a this minute's clock coming in the mail, which I'm excited about. Oh yeah, that's fun. That's fun. Yeah, it should be fun. Um, Sylvie mentions how she's been hiding out in apocalypses for centuries, completely undetectable by the TVA, and the duo deduces that this mysterious masked mastermind at the head of the TVA's numbing bureaucracy must be hiding in a timeline beyond the void, completely undetectable by time and space. But getting past the void is seemingly impossible, and there'd be nothing for the tempad to kind of lock onto so close to destruction. The only way to go through it is brought up by Miss Minutes saying that there is a prototype void spacecraft being constructed that can kind of withstand the temporal void, conceivably capable of bringing them to the end of time. But alas, this is all a ruse. As the TVA guards descend on the room, Ren Slayer only spiraling further and further down the slippery slope of villainy before allowing the guards to capture Sylvie. Ren Slayer, um, Sylvie steals Ren Slayer's tempad and commits as guardian Sebuku with the TVA time lightsaber pruning herself. Yes, yes. I didn't have time to say about seeing other than pretty much what you covered there, right? Uh, I mean, she didn't get away with the tempad, which uh, I'm sure she wouldn't have if the uh, TVA would have been the ones to do the pruning. But uh, I really like Gugu Mbatha-Ra's performance. Uh, yeah. Did you uh, buy for a second that she was going to join up with Sylvia? Well, throughout this episode, there's a lot of what if kind of pondering with Renslayer's entire motivations. I don't know what she's playing coy about. Mm -hmm. I don't know how much she really knows how much she's been left in the dark. What motives are sincere that she's been kind of proclaiming. Yes. So I, and I appreciate all of those turns. And when she does fall into the, desperate or empathetic camp it feels sincere because it's so well portrayed and so well acted mm -hmm. even if i know we're gonna get the scooby-doo mask pulled off two seconds later and you're gonna be like oh yeah she's a bad guy i forgot about yeah, that yeah, yeah. um but the portrayal of it is very believable and engaging mm -hmm. especially the conversations when sylvie jumps behind the like the area where the judges sit at the time theater and she's kind of hiding out after stealing the temp pad um and the guards kind of swarm her Renslayer is saying like you know i'll put you in a nice time loop and we can talk it out and all of that stuff 
it's it's just really good. She's kind of been the standout for me. Oh, really? In terms of actors on this series. Oh yeah, I, uh, I, it's tough. Uh, I, I do like her. I think I kind of like uh, Richard E. Grant in this episode a bit more, but uh, we've gotten more of uh, Renslayer really throughout, obviously, but. And all the twists and turns come with Renslayer too. You know what I mean? She's the slippery worm yes. in the series. Yes. She's the backstabber. She's the betrayer. Mm-hmm. And she's kind of the catalyst of all the the naughtiness that's been going on. And those are usually my favorite kinds of characters. <laughs> I hate to, be, to say it. To be fair to her, she is pretty... Uh... She doesn't mind at all turnabout uh, with the betrayal. She should be feel betrayed by the the timekeepers, but she's kind of taking it on the chin and maintaining her commitment to time fascism. It's almost admirable. Yeah, and again, some famous last words on the podcast. We'll get a little bit more into that because yes. there's an amazing conversation between her and B15, the other real standout actress on the show for me, the real other standout yeah, yeah, performance on the show. Good. Yes. Oh, she's been wonderful. I feel so bad. I can't pronounce her name. I butchered it last week or two weeks ago when I tried. <laughs> I have it on good authority that she's very upset about it. I'm sure she probably gets it all the time, mm-hmm. really. But, uh. and, and come to the MCU Beyond Infinity Facebook group to complain about how poorly I pronounce your name. I would really appreciate that actress. Yes. yes. <laughs> you want to talk about Loki's underground bowling alley lair? Because this shit was dope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's just a fun set piece, really. Uh, I wondered about the tentacle uh, statue things. I, uh, with the rumor about Shuma Gorath being a villain in Doctor Strange, is that like a little tease? or? So did they seem like tentacles to you? Because I have it in my notes as vines. They do they have seem- flowers on them. But yeah, they seem more tentacle to me. But <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we are pro tentacle monster on this podcast, by the way. We want to throw that out there. We love it. Um, I know a lot of people really like it, and there's like a whole subsect of like um Pornhub that I sometimes get brought to involving it where I don't like it that much. No, but I no. do just love a, tentacle just a monster. little short of that, just a little. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Yeah. yes, there's a fine line in between where you can appreciate the Lovecraftian mm-hmm. or you can appreciate the swampy and not want to fuck it um <laughs> indeed indeed and but if you want to we're not here to kink shame no so no. just where, where 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 are you going to stick it in the big thing that the squid that the the, the ink shoots out of i uh, i don't know i don't know <laughs> the uh the variant Lokis are sitting around chatting amongst themselves, kind of discussing their lives prior to the Nexus events that they created that caused the TVA's prunings. Um, boastful Loki, who we noted last week, looks more Norse, um, played by a black gentleman holding Molnior claims that he's defeated the Avengers and gathered all the infinity infinity stones. Um, We get name drops of Captain America and Iron Man being vanquished here. Um, We also find out that alligator Loki, uh, he ate the wrong neighbor's cat, uh, which is kind of upsetting because I love cats. (laughs) I'm not sure if that's legitimately what his Nexus event was, or if most Loki was just talking shit there. 
I'm also not convinced that that's really Mjolnir. It may just be like a uh, store brand. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the one that I'm like I, that I have underneath my little plastic one that I keep next to my bed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it just looks uh, like almost steampunky or something. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I I did adore classic Loki's nexus event and his entire story i thought was really cool because his life played out similarly to what we saw prime loki's event play out in in infinity war and endgame where he made it all the way to thanos and he got up to that point but when thanos snapped his neck it wasn't really him he had been projecting an illusion good enough to fool the mad Titan himself. And he actually hid out as inanimate debris drifting off into space for quite some time, retreating for an entire lifetime. Um, Admittedly, he got really lonely and he mentions how he missed his brother very much. And the moment that he tried to step off of this hibernation and this, um, this self exile is when the TVA came to prune him. And it's almost like he's kind of doomed to just, be alone and, and never be part of the Fast and Furious franchise because of yeah. his family. It's mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed that. I mean, he is the most in line with uh, with Prime Loki. Uh, yeah, it would would I? I just had a thought of all these different Lokis in some scuzzy backyard having a barbecue and drinking Coronas, and I just wanted to throw that thought out there for a moment. Um, so if you have a million dollars and you'd like to see that, please send it to um, MCU Beyond Infinity Podcast at gmail.com. Um, but there was a lot of emotion to his speech and that loneliness and what he had gone through. I don't know if you know about this, Travis, but there was... I don't want to call it a popular theory, but after Infinity War, a lot of the Loki, quote unquote, Loki stands were saying that that's what had happened, that it was a projection. And I remember reading about a theory very similar to that, where it was fake Loki being projected and he was just floating around as inanimate space. And that was going to be how Tom Hiddleston kind of inevitably returned. Yeah, yeah, I I hadn't seen heard the inanimate uh, debris uh, part of the theory, but the rest of it, yes, I had, had kind of seen people floating that one. Uh, there's also uh, a little bit off topic, but on something that Klaskowski says about uh, it kind of addresses one of the complaints we've had about the series about the fight choreography and how it's been kind of lame. Uh, Hello, lame is 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 yeah yeah uh, mediocre for sure and TV grade yes yes uh, but totally whack <laughs> <laughs> not enough magic and Loki kind of the classic Loki kind of addresses that by mentioning that blades are cool but they're worthless in the face of uh, Loki sorcery which was nice and I don't <laughs> I don't know if they intended the fight scenes to be under par or what but yeah i don't think so because it wasn't just the choreography (laughs) no i i like how after he says a blade would like you didn't try and stab thanos and he says what you just said you know Mm -hmm. a blade is nothing in the face of a loki sorcery but it does look cool and then all the other lokis are like yeah it does look cool doesn't it (laughs) uh He also declares them the god of outcasts and not the god of mischief, which was 
a nice line, mm-hmm. well written, well placed, totally worked and was totally perfect. Famed character actor Richard E. Grant in Loki pajamas with this heartfelt speech <laughs> about floating around space as an inanimate object. Okay. Worked yeah, somehow. You're speaking of the heartfelt stuff. Like, the costume is ridiculous, and but he manages to not make it seem silly. Anything he does in this episode, really. Anything that's not supposed to be silly. Uh, I mean, that's the power of good acting and a good performance, my friend. Yeah, you know, so this makes me wonder, would you like to see an entire... Uh, movie franchise if they did go with these super silly classic costumes yes yes <laughs> i yes. Uh, like, what I, kind of question is I that? know it's re- almost rhetorical like of course yeah yeah uh Granted, I think what you and I want might be different than what a lot of the general public want because we're always clamoring for, like, make it silly, make it silly. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. like, dumb it down because it works, you know? Captain America um, sold in the first Avengers movie was totally fine. There's nothing wrong with it. Yeah. Sometimes you need a little bit of old fashioned, my friend. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Our uh, Loki declares that they're as good as escaping as they are surviving. He tells the others about the female variant form of themselves, which they all agree is terrifying. But Prime Loki says, but that's kind of what's great about her and how she's been trying to not only find the TVA, but take down the TVA Um, kind of with a rousing speech to get them to join forces. They all kind of end up mocking Loki and he decides to face the void alone in search of a way back to Sylvie. But once they open up the hatch, he's encountered by a villainous marauder type mob of variant forms of Loki that are actually led by, quote unquote, President Loki uh, with seemingly sinister intentions. Let's talk about a couple extra Easter eggs that we have in this lair and in this entire scene. Right off the bat, we get a close up of some Roxy wine with two X's. We can only assume that that's Roxon brand. Yeah. Further introducing the Roxon Corporation, which I'm excited for. We've had AIM, we've had Hydra, we've had these villainous organizations. We've we have Hammer, and we know Hammer is, you know, Hammer Industries is coming back rather in um, Iron Wars. Yeah. So it's nice to incorporate Roxon, especially it was like boxed wine and they were feeding it to Alligator Loki while he was hanging out in a kiddie pool, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, also, Kid Loki was drinking High C Ecto Cooler, which was pretty rad. You know, we've had these long forgotten, I forget what it was, Josta Cola or Tab or something in the previous episodes, mm-hmm. but we get some. Ecto Cooler, which was a blast from the past for me. I don't know if you remember, Travis, but my mother used to buy, and Mary Sansone, you are a goddamn saint. She used to buy, like, metal cans of Ecto Cooler for me, and you'd have to, like, oh, yeah. open it. You, do you, do you no, recall no, this? No, I've not seen uh, No, I, I remember the little uh, cartons, like, Loki, Loki's drinking here, but yeah, I don't, uh, yeah. Recall anything larger than that. Uh, yeah, bro. They used to come in like big aluminum or tin cans, kind of like SpaghettiOs, but like big, like big. Like you would get like a can of fucking peaches for a pie or some shit. And you had to like open it with like a can opener and like pull the top back, like some fucking cheap old beer, like uh, Schlitz or something like that, yeah, yeah. which was pretty cool. Um, you mentioned the the green vines. 
But in the background, there's also a um, Polyvius machine, uh, which is uh, urban legend. Mm-hmm. It's an arcade cabinet that never truly existed, but there were always rumors of it back in the heyday of arcades where people started this urban myth that the CIA created a video game for mind control purposes as well. Um kind of my fever dream as a child who grew up loving Tron and um, what was the good one with the aliens where they uh, Last Lost Starfighter. Star yeah. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you so good at playing a video game that aliens become then you become a hero. Yes. Uh, That's what I'm saying. That's like your dream, right? Of course. Of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, this is kind of a stretch, but the music that was playing was a cover of Oasis's Wonderwall by a gentleman by the name of Mike Flowers. A cover song is just a variant of something more popular mm-hmm. playing on the themes of, you know, variants. And um, let's talk about President Loki or the vote Loki. Have you are you familiar with the vote Loki comic book arc from a couple of years ago? I think it was. Actually, it was last year. It was during the uh, the Biden Trump campaign. Oh, Do you yeah. know about this? I I am somewhat. I read like an issue, uh, but yeah, yeah. I I still haven't finished. It. Yeah, I read it recently, but uh, but yeah, he looks ripped straight from the page. Uh, and yeah, and in the comics, it's great because Loki becomes a politician who's straight up running on a platform that I will lie to you and tell you everything you want. And he almost wins a presidential election, which was very fitting for the time. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I really thought that um, when I saw him in the trailer, that this was going to be a bigger plot point, but even as just like a fun nod, I I enjoyed it. I don't, there really wasn't enough time to do a storyline like that at this point in the series. Uh, or anything like it, really. Uh, you and I are both fans of our actors hamming the shit out of and chewing the shit yeah. out of what they're given. Mm-hmm. You could tell Hiddleston was having a lot of fun playing President Loki as well, too, because it was a different vibe from our prime Loki at this point, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Loki, I mean, Hiddleston seems to just really enjoy this character so much. Uh, and I'm curious to see how long he'll want to stick around. Because it, it seems like it's one of the better uh, odds, I guess, uh, of all the actors that have been around in MCU a, a while. He really champions the fan base as well, mm-hmm. which is something I've always appreciated from Hiddleston. Not to say, you know, Robert Downey or Chris Evans never championed the fan base. Yeah, they, yeah. I've always been great to the fans, but there's always been that I want to move on from this. I don't want this to be my legacy, blah, 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 mm-hmm. blah, blah. Here's a dump truck of money, and that's why I'm here. <laughs> Where I've seen Hiddleston come out at New York City Comic Con, you know, as a resident New Yorker, it's something that I have done frequently before it was even like a really big deal. Even going there as like a kid before it just became, you know, commercials for media and there was an actual comic book thing. But I, I have seen Hiddleston come out at a New York City Comic Con just straight up dressed as Loki 
bringing the house down, hands in the air, doing all the lines, doing all the bits, having fun with it. And he, more than almost anyone else in the franchise, feels like the actor who comes to the fan base as a champion. And we've mentioned it previously on the show. Hemsworth was kind of sick of playing Thor in the more Shakespearean way from the Kenneth Branagh movie and um, the masterpiece that is the dark world uh, where they asked, he, he asked Feige, like, can we take this in a different direction? That's why they got Taika and kind of reinvented it more as this funny character. And, Feige gave Taika the reins. Do whatever you want with any of these characters, but don't touch Loki. Don't touch Hiddleston. He stays the same. And he's remained a constant through this, you know, through line of different tones Mm -hmm. in the franchise, which is, which is interesting as well. He's also just made the character more popular than he was in the comics. And he was kind of popular in the comics. He wasn't, uh, he wasn't like a D-lister there. Uh, He was, Thor's main villain. In, in. When you think of Thor, you think of Loki. Yes, yes. Uh, so to be able to elevate them further is impressive. Uh, yeah, and to make you care for... It's it's an anti-hero done in the best way possible because you're giving them these actual redemptive arcs. Mm-hmm. Even if we're seeing the arcs over and over and over again... <laughs> You are, and I don't want to keep using the word variants, but you're getting enough variants with each of these kind of forms of redemption where you're always kind of like, he's going to stab him in the back, mm-hmm. but he really fools you. As opposed to, you know, like a performance like um, Gugu Mbatha-Raz Renslayer in this, where, yeah, we know she's a bad guy, even when she's playing coy and we kind of want to trust her for a second and the performance is great. You know she's a bad guy at the end of the day, but the Loki shit, you really love to hate him, and you think he's actually made the turn even when he hasn't. After turning the TVA's pruning saber, whatever we're going to call that weapon on herself, Sylvie awakens in the void, confused of where and when she is. Uh, there's a rousing chase sequence as she narrowly escapes the clutches of Eliath, um, and is eventually rescued by our boy Mobius. Wow. Uh, sporting a uh, pizza delivery vehicle. <laughs> and there are some Easter eggs here. Hashtag Kang Gang. Yes. So there is a major part of Kang's character where Kang ruled ancient Egypt, assuming the role of the Pharaoh Ramatet. And he used the Sphinx as his time machine. And in this scene, we see the pyramid and, or one of the great pyramids and the Sphinx in the background of the chase sequence. We also get what you mentioned before a glimpse of last week. We thought it was Avengers tower or Stark tower, but we clearly see it's, Kang with a Q, um, which was a mega company, the Kang with a Q Corp, um, that bought the Avengers Tower from Tony Stark when he had fallen on some hard times and was eventually revealed to be a front for the villainous Kang the Conqueror. No shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were saying it was kind of a minimal effort plot by uh, uh, by Kang uh, in his Mr. Griffin persona. Uh, Mm hmm. Yeah. I, I was stoked to see Mobius back, though, my friend. Oh, yeah. I mean, once they ended uh, the episode with Loki still alive, I kind of knew that Mobius was going to come back, but it was still nice to see him. Uh, and 
do you think it is uh, the Sphinx time travel device, or is it just just a Sphinx? <laughs> or just an eye? Sometimes a cicada is just a cicada, as yeah, we learned yeah, in WandaVision. Yeah, you know what I mean? That's kind of what it is. <laughs> I do want to say that that slow-mo shot where uh, Sylvie's leaping over something, that shot was mining. I liked it a lot. And it was. You kind of get a quick peek at the uh, the end credit uh, building. You do. Mm-hmm. And, yo, like, ominous smoke monster cloud bad guys have been done to death in movies and yeah, blockbuster yeah. I, movies in general. I'd be curious to see how, uh, <laughs> how this one fares, like, in the overall ranking of smoke monsters in... Well, it's up there for me, man. I mean, obviously, there's Smokey from Lost, right? <laughs> He's the big one. Old Smokey, the man in black himself. Mm-hmm. Um, there's Parallax from the Green Lantern movie, yeah. right? Yeah, and then Galactus, obviously. Uh, yes, from the Rise of the Silver Surfer, which is whack. Yeah, it, it's especially right because I've seen concept art from that movie where it was a much more faithful adaptation and it's like a good design for him. Uh you know what's kind of funny and I hadn't put it together is remember like the devil's anus in um, Ragnarok? Yes. Yeah, that's a, that was kind of like a smoky cloud red thing kind of floating around in the sky. And it's kind of another parallel to getting shit out onto a garbage planet and yeah. having to jump through the uh, the smoky cloud monster. You know, another parallel to the uh, they story arcs. They pass through it. Uh, just- yep. <laughs> It works. It works. <laughs> it does. Uh, it does work. Um, we get back to the Loki lair where it's revealed that um, boastful Loki has sold out the others to the villainous Marauder variants led by President Loki. Um, but the deal does go sour very quickly. And in classic Loki fashion, they double, even triple, even quadruple cross one another, resulting in a rousing barroom style brawl. Shout out to Alligator Loki for snapping President Loki's hand off here. And in my opinion, this was the best hand to hand fight sequence that we've seen yet in yeah. this series. Yeah. Which is something that we've complained about, or not complained about, but we've been critical about. Yes, They've been very yeah, TV it's been level. The point of the series. Uh, and I think what one of the things that helped here is that there's so many people all doing a little that they don't have to remember as much. They don't have to get it down as, as a, elaborate, I guess. Uh, and I mean, hmm? you could have had the fucking Benny Hill theme just kind of playing throughout this thing. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, it, it was a fun scene. And you see, like, classic Loki doing a bit of magic uh, to help them escape and just to have an illusion form of fighting more of the other yeah, Loki. Yeah, he, he, he casts an illusion of himself and fights the other Lokis, mm-hmm. which is really cool. Even going to, to that Benny Hill comment, the music is yeah, the yeah. main title card. It's just kind of done in this kind of, like, carousel um circusy version of itself yeah, which i yeah. thought was pretty cool i definitely noted the, the, the music in this scene uh it added to it uh yeah there's actually just on the topic of variant and variants there is a device used in classical compositions especially this um forms of classical music there's some classical forms uh, one of which is called a sonata it's a very famous 
form of uh, composing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Moonlight Sonata being like the the most famous kind of example of that. But what you do is you ha- establish a theme and then you do another part. It's called theme and variation, where you take the establishing theme and those establishing motifs and you play with them by altering the timing or altering mm-hmm. the key or the structure that they're in. So you have enough identifying factors from the main theme or prime theme, and you introduce a variant theme in composition before rounding it up with a coda. Um, So interesting kind of play on variants, bringing it all kind of full circle being (laughs) as sound as a gigantic part of cinema. It was nice. And Natalie Holt, we've kind of given her shout outs on every single episode, but she's the composer Mm -hmm. doing a great job of incorporating classical elements with a lot of Nordic influence, but also the, the Thurman is very prominent. The science fiction and yeah. synthesizer shit is very prominent. And, and it's been great overall. Um, you mentioned before they escape by classic Loki, Richard E. Grant cast this giant green cloud for them to, to escape through. Um, and they're kind of just left wandering without shelter through the void, which is where our prime Loki convincing convinces the others that nothing will change until the TVA is stopped. And they agree to aid in defeating Eliath and helping him find Sylvie in their quest to take this shit down. We then return to Sylvie and Mobius cruising the wastelands of the vast void in their pizza car. Uh, Mobius expresses his regrets for doing the TVA's bidding for so long, saying that at the time he really thought that the ends would justify the means, even if that means um, killing children, apologizing <laughs> <laughs> um, for having been hunting Sylvie down like a dog for all these years. And this is where they devise a plan for getting out of there and finding out who's behind all of this, turning around and heading first, uh, heading head first into the vicious cloud monster itself. Um, The license plate on Mobius's pizza car, little Easter egg. Yes. Right. Yes. And it's not the typical license plate Easter egg that they go for. It's usually a first appearance or something like that. Yeah. Some issue or a date of a famous issue or something along the lines. The license plate here reads GRN WID. So it looks like Grunwald, correct? Yes. Yes. Uh, Which is a reference to a uh, Marvel writer. That's uh Died in 96, I think. Uh, he did. Yeah, um, yeah. He was also the inspiration for Mobius's likeness in the comics. Oh, really? and okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. If you see a picture of him, he looks just like Mobius does in the comics, which is vastly different. He has a pencil thin mustache. He's this kind of old looking guy who definitely looks like he worked at the DMV for like 80 years, you know, Um so Mark Grunewald is the inspiration for the comic book Mobius, a Mobius character. And Grunewald also helped co-create Eliath in the Terminatrix saga. I believe he was an editor on that run. It's uh, nice to see them giving credit to uh, someone that really isn't uh, still around to complain about it if he wasn't giving credit, I guess. <laughs> uh, yes. They didn't have to do it. Uh, yes. uh, yeah. 
Like if they made a Swamp Thing movie and they had like some like cantankerous old man come out of the cave smelling like fucking Dorito dust and holding a wizard staff complaining about how they're making a Swamp Thing movie or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Like... I mean, sometimes people complain. Sometimes they're right. Sometimes they're insane and into wizardry. Uh, mm-hmm. And right. Sometimes. Yeah. Uh, Meanwhile... The Loki variants are similarly heading towards the beast with the intentions of killing it, although they still have no clue how they're going to be doing so. And at this point, we see a recently pruned naval battleship be devoured by Eliath in an instance. Um, this battleship that drops down, having been recently pruned by the TVA, is the USS Eldritch. This is a real naval battleship. It was famously... Most famously, I think, known for being part of almost like a conspiracy that is the Philadelphia Experiment, mm -hmm. which is where the government was kind of fucking with uh, the idea of actual time travel. And the story goes that the USS Eldritch was equipped with this cloaking device to make itself invisible. But instead of actually making itself invisible, it teleported all of the people who were on the ship into like a parallel dimension, very similar to like the upside down or something yeah. along those lines yeah. and stranger things um, out here on long Island. That's one of the big kind of urban legends. We have a town called Montauk all the way out on the East end. And Montauk was very closely related to the Philadelphia experiments. And there was something called the Montauk project at this place called camp hero, where one of the guys who was on the USS Eldritch was actually taken. And he published this book about how they performed all of these experiments on him and they fed him LSD and they were abducting children and they were trying to make them into weapons again, much like stranger things with mm -hmm. um, 11, um, so I thought that was kind of a nice, you know, real life cameo. They did that with D.B. Cooper and that conspiracy in the first episode to kind of say, like, hey, this is actually what happened to it. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of urban legend stuff in here. And D.B. Cooper was obviously a real thing that happened. Uh, I wanted to point out that uh, Kidoki has some sort of device in his hand in this scene. It's not explained in the slightest. I assume it's a thing just to track Elias, but yeah, not explained. Uh, it's like a, a, it's like an RC car controller, man. Oh, oh, is it? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I never had one as a kid because I was. It just excited. like looked like a little remote control car thing. <laughs> I, I, I didn't know what that was either. Was that? Does that track the temporal like drops of prune timelines or something? I don't know. Well, I, I assumed it was just tracking Elias because that's who they're looking for, and knowing where he's at would be a good way to avoid him uh, at any given time. Uh, what do you think about Kid Loki? Because we get some good bits with him here where, um, you know, we see the pizza car kind of approaching in the distance and Kid Loki yeah. says it's uh, it's either cannibalistic marauders or cannibalistic pirates. <laughs> yes, he has some good delivery on uh a line that's pretty much right at this point where uh, after Sylvie meets up with them and uh, calls attention to the flaws in their their uh, plan and he says that he had his doubts and it's just a yeah. really good delivery. Uh, yeah. And Sylvie had some good delivery too in the previous scene where she talks about the orphaning kids and how that's classic hero stuff that should have been a red flag for Mobius. But yeah. 
again, he says, well, at the time, I thought the ends justify yes, the means, yes. but I'm sorry. Uh-huh. Great performances kind of all around in this show mm-hmm. from the entire cast. Yeah. Especially this kid. Kid actors can go one or they two ways. Yes. Yeah. Very quickly. Uh-huh. Very quickly. Especially kid background actors who just stare at the camera for like <laughs> no reason and it freaks me out. I can't stand it. There was so much of that in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Oh yeah. Yeah. See, I had I didn't notice that. I uh I don't doubt it. With, <laughs> with a Turkish delight, especially. Oh yeah, yeah, I can see that. I can see that. Mm-hmm. And Mama 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 Danya's uh funeral. Also, there was just like some kids staring. But this kid, Jack Vale, I don't know who he is. I don't know if he's been in anything. I don't know. Maybe he's in One Direction. I know sometimes people just like say like, oh, he's in One Direction. You should know who the fuck he is. I'm like, I don't know. I just saw him in Dunkirk. I don't know if he's been in anything. But <laughs> but he, he, he is really good. And I do want to see more of Kid Loki. We both are fans of the character. We're both fans of um, Kieran Gillen and Jamie McKelvey's Young Avengers run. And I think that the cast that they're setting up, I haven't seen America Chavez in action yet or the girl who's playing Kamala Khan. Yeah, yeah. Or um, Kate Bishop, even though I really do like Haley Steinfeld. I'm a huge fan of the Coen brothers. I actually think their version of True Grit is far superior to the John Wayne true grit and she was a little girl in that movie being nominated for you know best supporting actress at the time and she's grown into um a rather attractive young woman which is nice and kate bishop is a a favorite of mine Mm -hmm. so i'm excited that they're getting these strong and capable kid actors for these roles that could be hard to do establishing a legacy character as a new character is difficult well, we'll a- be recording our Black Widow episode tomorrow, but they also do this kind of in Black Widow with Yelena mm-hmm. and having Florence Pugh is a good move. You got a great actress who's able to deliver her own portrayal of a character and make something her own rather than just seemingly ripping off what's yeah, come before. Yeah, they have much different personalities. Uh, and Florence is fantastic in that film. Yeah. Um, we find out, you mentioned before, the pizza car that approaches it ends up being sylvie and mobius and loki are reunited which is nice and after introducing loki as a child loki in the future and loki as an alligator which is best not to question (laughs) actually mobius has a really good line where he says geez you throw a rock you hit a loki around here but the gang decides that in um instead of just slaying the beast giving it a paper cut or whatever the hell they say sylvie's going to enchant this thing in order to get past the um tva's main smoky guard dog here yes yes uh full of self-confidence which is key as a loki would be (laughs) back at the tva renslayer interrogates hunter b15 whom recently has been exposed to the TVA's lies and the truth about her former past. Um, She had freed the variants and betrayed the organization in Renslayer's words. B-15 also calls Ravona out on her bullshit real quick. 
as Renslayer also knows that this is all fake. She was there too. Mm -hmm. She saw the beheading. She knows that the timekeepers aren't real, but that does not matter to Judge Renslayer. And despite the falsehoods, Renslayer still demands stability for the organization is a must. Refusing to allow B-15 or anyone else to reveal the truth behind the TVA. Having previously been linked to Sylvie, Renslayer wants to know what is driving her from B-15, to which she declares revenge and finding out who's on top. I, uh, I'm a little surprised at Renslayer. Uh, like, if it was me, I would immediately try to find out where I was a variant from what my backstory was after finding out that everyone's a variant. But, uh... Probably not enough time for that. One question I have for you is, do you think that Renslayer was aware that there were all variants before it was revealed to, you know, Hunter B-15 and Mobius? Do you think that she at least knew that much at this point? I I think she may have suspected, uh, at, at the very least. Uh, I think that theory about there being multiple Mobiuses that have worked at the Time Variance Authority would make a lot of sense, especially uh, even considering some stuff that happens in a few scenes from now, but uh, yeah, yeah, I, I think she suspected. Uh, I don't know if she knew outright, though. Uh, yeah, because like B-15 kind of suddenly realizes that Renslayer's goals aren't necessarily to protect the TVA anymore. It's that she has a desire to find out who's in charge. Yes, yes. And but she also says that you'll never get there before Sylvie does. Because Renslayer only wants it, but Sylvie needs it. Mm -hmm. I love this actress who plays B-15. This she's made the scene is it. great. Uh, throughout. What's that? I said she's made the most of the role throughout. Yeah, I... Uh, yeah, it, it really isn't, like, a big role, but it's important, and, yeah, uh, fantastic. And her yeah. coming full circle from this, you know, brooding, almost, like, guard dog mm -hmm. kind of warden for the TVA and these variants, too. Really emotional when she found out, and she had that fake tears in the rain scene. And last week, really redemptive with her big hero moments prior to the fight sequence with the timekeeper's throne room. And here in this time prison, just really confident and speaking with so much authority, almost like she has an upper hand from anyone else there because she's in the know at this point, you know? Mm -hmm. Um Ravona does leave B-15 in this time prison. And that's the last we see of Hunter B-15 in this episode. And as she's leaving, she hits the Miss Minutes button on the temp pad again, um, requesting that Miss Minutes get her all of the files pertaining to the founding of the TVA and everything from the beginning of time. She seems hesitant to help uh, Miss Minutes does. Which, uh, do you think that Miss Minutes is more in the know than everyone else. Is she in contact, maybe, since it's an automaton, in a way, or, or, or AI, rather. Yeah, I, I... 
is hard to tell because I mean, even in, I forget if it was the first, I think it was the second episode. We have that little scene where Loki's kicking back in the uh, TVA offices Mm -hmm. and she's doing the quizzing and asking all the questions of Loki and he kind of swats at her and she jumps around and she jumps into the computer and he's like, are you real? Mm -hmm. Are you a projection? Are you an illusion? Are you magic? Or are you this thing? And she's like a little bit of everything. And then, dives back into the computer. Mm -hmm. So we really don't know if she's just part of the AI there, if she's an operating system. Like, is this Siri gone mad? You know, Um, is this that, um, that Spike Jones movie where Joaquin wants to bang the, uh, the operating system played voiced by Scarlett Johansson. Her, 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 yeah. Yeah, So, I don't know. Is there's no Mister Minutes? We know that because she's Miss Minutes. <laughs> she's on the market then potentially, unless there's a Miss, another Miss Minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Unless Mrs. I, I should. Yeah, yes, I, I should have said that, Mister or Mrs. <laughs> minutes again. I should should have made that clear. I apologize, <laughs> but I don't know, and I don't know if we're going to explore more of like what Miss Minutes is, or if I really necessarily want to know more of what Miss oh, yeah, Minutes is. Yeah, that's- uh, but I like the idea and I'd like that they're keeping it vague and it's fun. I Tara strong. We mentioned she's mostly a voice actress, but she's the best. She did some work on Batman, the animated series. She did some work on Rugrats. She's been a part of characters coming to life for a very long time. And I appreciate that. And, and I'm enjoying her performance at least mm-hmm. in the voicing of Miss Minutes so far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we've been asking since we saw that fucking Miss Minutes feature, push the Miss Minutes button, like what happens? And, you know, I'm I'm assuming that this is what it is. It's pretty cool. She's like hitting the finder window on my Mac or something or whatever. File Explorer on, on PC, you know? Mm-hmm. We get back to the void and Kid Loki and Classic Loki and Alligator Loki are kind of sitting around a little fire uh, before they begin the quest and... Mobius expresses his mission at this point is exposing the truth of the TVA, um, turning his back on the organization that he's devoted his lifetime to at this point. It's never too late to change really does kind of mirror Loki's arc as well from this villainous force to this heroic force. Yes. And sparks begin to fly we see loki and sylvie cozying up with one another yeah, and he, i mean they share a blankie yes uh, he's pretending to be cold even though he's a frost giant he's a very smooth operator <laughs> yeah 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 that we is slick i didn't even think about yeah, that yeah we don't know if she knows that he's frost giant too he may not have ever specified well didn't they mention that he knew he was adopted on the train sequence in the third episode right yes yes but there's, I, I suppose you do have, have the same parents, perhaps, but yeah. Uh. Yeah. I was thinking for a moment, like, nothing can create a Nexus event here because no one cares. It's a void. It's the end of time, mm-hmm. except for when Loki kisses Sylvie and that's enough, you know? And I thought maybe this was going to be like this weird temporal anomaly because they're just like, it's so wrong <laughs> and borderline incestual. Again, another weird subcategory that's oddly popular on Pornhub. Yeah, yeah, um, it's, it's got its <laughs> audience, apparently. Yeah. Yeah, I know. But he's my variant form, you know what I mean? 
We get, um, they're not Ewoks, they're not Porgs, they're not Crystal Critters. We get weird little peacocks with crystal ball heads kind of hovering also, which are kind of fucking funny. Yeah, yeah. I assume the native species of the void. Uh, Potentially, or or pruned and kind of yeah. left there to survive. Maybe um, Eliath doesn't like picking out the feathers or something. I don't know. We do get a scene with uh, Alligator Loki here where... Uh, Mobius is kind of asked about him, and he says that he doesn't remember uh, ever pruning an alligator Loki, uh, but he does kind of fit the criteria of a Loki. But yeah, he, he's green. Yes, he's green, <laughs> and if he is lying about it, it would be kind of more Loki-ish, but uh, it kind of points toward there being maybe other Mobiuses. If, if alligator Loki remembers him, but we don't know what was said before very true. Yeah. That is very true. Yeah. It's knowing that pruning doesn't necessarily reset something. It literally just transports it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. If there were multiple variants of Mobius, they would have to keep going to the exact point in time that they pulled them from or prior as well. Mm -hmm. Right. Technically. Yes. I would think so. Uh, yeah, um, kind of before their battle to enchant Eliath begins, Loki does his little hero battle cry, declaring that he's uh, staying with Sylvie, and wherever she goes, he goes, as do the other variant forms of Loki. Um, Kid Loki giving our prime Loki the flaming dagger of Norse myth, uh, Leviathan, uh, or yeah, flaming dagger. It's yes. like a short, short little sword. And we do get an emotional goodbye hug as Mobius uses the temp pad to return to the TVA with uh, intentions of bringing it down. And I really hope that's explored next week. I would love for there to be kind of similarly to what we're having in this episode where we have what's going on at the TVA, what's going on in the void. And we get, what's going on with Mobius versus Renslayer and then what's going on with Sylvie and Loki and whoever is the mysterious mastermind man behind the curtain at the end of the void. I hope to God that we get to see Mobius, you know, awakening quote unquote, giving the, the TVA their red pill moment and kind of getting everybody on the same page over there. We get to see some sort of mutiny yes, and they print yes. enough, pamphlets as uh, Corey would say <laughs> yes I think that's a, a very much a possibility with how he's written out this episode going through the time door uh, the um the battle against Eliath I really liked um Sylvie doesn't necessarily know how she's going to latch on and enchant this thing she mentioned that there was a moment where it touched her and she made contact with it during that little rousing chase sequence that she, after she first got dropped into the void being pruned where she knows there's something there and she had that moment but she doesn't necessarily know how she's going to be grabbing onto it and Loki starts causing distractions. This is where we get to see the sword Leviathan or the, the dagger Leviathan, you know, become a burning blade. Mm -hmm. I thought all of that was great. Again, the action set pieces of the episode of the series that have worked best, in my opinion, Travis, are the more adventure oriented set pieces. 
the third episode had that really great quote unquote single take as the yeah yeah city was falling down around them and that stuff looked great and this is another prime example of just you know a big kind of epic sequence very befitting to the tone of the show rather than you know white guy karate stuff or yeah or gun yeah, gun, gun stuff. yeah yeah yes. yeah uh yes this was kind of my favorite moment in the series so far as far as action by far and excellent yeah and specifically classic loki's part in this uh Yes, because our Loki isn't able to create the distraction that will divert the attention of Eliath enough to keep him from decimating everyone. Yes. And yes, classic Loki, Richard E. Grant, uses everything he's got to conjure a massive illusion, reconstructing Asgard from scratch. And it looked great. Again, the CGI rendering was amazing. Richard E. Grant's performance, coming to his knees, having an mm-hmm. absolute blast. An absolute blast here. In such a silly costume, and it doesn't even <laughs> really register that it's such a silly costume. Uh, it's, he's just so into the moment, and yeah, it's extremely more, more examples of, if you nail it, it will work. Yeah, if yeah. you do it right and you have someone who cares and you put a good actor in that suit, you can pull off giant green pajamas with horns and no one will care. It looked so cool. And he, again, Richard E. Grant, famed character actor. Unfortunately, he might be like the best part of (laughs) Rise of Skywalker because like, why didn't you have this guy here the whole time? He's definitely a space Nazi. Like he plays a great space Nazi. Um, <laughs> uh, it's awesome, man. It's awesome. And gun down in his prime, man. RIPD to classic Loki and Richard E. Grant. Do you think that we're ever going to get any more of this guy? Or is this the end of him as Elias devours him? Probably not. But for being in just one full episode, you can't really be too upset about that gig. Uh, and having such a big moment in it and having so much good dialogue. Yes. Making something that should not work on paper work. Mm -hmm. That's what it takes right here. And uh, did you like the CGI? Did you like the conjuring of Asgard and all that? Absolutely. Yeah, I didn't have an issue with any of the CGI in this uh, particular episode. It's all looked good and not TV level just. Yeah, it was fantastic, really. I want to see more of Asgard also. You and I are pretty adamant on our stances regarding the first two Thor movies and how we do like that tone. And we want to see more Mm -hmm. fantasy elements and more of the journeying into mystery, so to speak. So getting these glimpses last week, we had some glimpses where we saw the flashback of Sylvie playing with her toys on the steps in Asgard. And, you know, that was like, you know, sticking the tip in. But this is like full (laughs) penetration Asgard right here, my friend. Um, Unfortunately, they didn't save the full penetration for Jamie Alexander sequence, but I always have my imagination. So yes, yes. that's, that's the powers of illusion, my friend. Um, 
<laughs> the distraction is enough to get the attention of um, Eliath and our duos hold hands. <laughs> Sylvie telling Loki that he has the power of enchantment in him all along and he could do whatever he wants. Something that kind of echoes what his mother told him in going back to the third episode where how did you learn the magic? Because my mother told me that if I think about it, I can do anything that I want mm -hmm. and we find out he also was able to conjure these enchantment powers and together the duo successfully defeat the creature. Although they witness the demise of classic Loki in the process. And um, this is where the episode comes to an end with Loki and Sylvie walking side by side, journeying further and further into mystery <laughs> towards a citadel in the distance, um, which is uh, revealed beyond the void to be the kingdom of wherever or whoever the, <laughs> the big uh, head of the TVA yeah. is, the yeah. big bad. Yes. So. Let's talk about this citadel. Let's talk about this castle and let's talk about where they're going because I've seen a lot of speculation and it was hard not to do it myself mm. where this very much resembles the city of Chronopolis, which is where Kang lives. This city was rumored to have been seen in Ant-Man and the Wasp by Janet Van Dyne as she's been whizzing around the quantum realm. We know that uh, Kang is coming. Again, in Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Mm -hmm. And it would make sense, right? It would some. I uh, I don't know if that's what we're going to get here, or if they're even going to name this place. <laughs> uh, it could just be left to our imaginations. Uh, more interesting where is who for me. Like, uh, who is going to be running the show here? Uh um, well, Travis, you had an interesting theory on this I castle. I don't want to call it a theory because I don't think it's the case. But like, but you had an interesting idea, and I do want you to throw it down on wax okay. because I love it so much. So yeah, yeah, no, I just seeing the castle, the old timey castle, made me think of Latveria and Doctor Doom. I do not think that's what it was intended to make me think of, but all the green illusion magic and stuff like that. I've just got Doom on the mind. <laughs> <laughs> there is no Chronopolis, only Doom. <laughs> yes, yes, pretty much. Yes. Uh, and like, yo, yo, so, <laughs> yo, yo, yo. So, <laughs> Travis, if this is Doctor Doom, and we're not saying it is, but that would be so cool. You're the first person I've heard say this, and you've stuck it in my head. You don't need to cast an actor technically, right? Like, it's a big guy in a metal mask. Like, he fucking better be. <laughs> fuck yeah, he better be. <laughs> like, that would be so tight if, mm -hmm. you know, like Thanos at the end of fucking The Avengers. Like, that wasn't Josh Brolin. It was just some just guy some with guy. purple. Yes. Just yes. some guy, right? I don't know, man. I and again, viewers, listeners, like for however you're if you're viewing this, please tell us how because it's an audio medium. So <laughs> listeners, like tell us who you think is at the end of the tunnel. Go to the MCU Beyond Infinity Facebook group and let us know. I'm on hashtag Kang Gang. I'm also hashtag um there is no Chronopolis only doom. Um we mentioned that there's variant forms of Kang because he is this 
character who's so closely associated with time travel and he's taken up so many incarnations yeah, yeah, while like fucking with the timeline. Uh, that's just excluding uh, the ones that are just named Kang. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my personal pick is Immortus. That's why I assume it is. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I'm excited to see it. I was a little bummed that there was no after credit scene. <laughs> uh, especially after the yeah, last that... episode where we got our first one. There was no, there was no after credit scene. And, and Travis, in the past mini series, we've gotten an after credit scene at the second to last episode. And then there's been one for each subsequent episode after that. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I, I sat there waiting for it and got nothing. And it's not that I wasn't disappointed again, because we got such a fucking incredible episode, but I was definitely sitting there waiting for it. Of course. Yes. And you have to remember that Marvel give us and Marvel take it away. (laughs) Lord of Mortis would be fun too because it would be a way to introduce Kang and not make him as silly yet. He wears like a upside down tin can kind of helmet. Yeah, yeah, it's more of a hat. Yeah, yeah. It's- <laughs> yeah, hat robes kind of. Yeah. He's got a big purple popped collar robe. He's also associated with the West Coast Avengers, and there's been a lot of stuff taken from the West Coast Avengers in these in these series so far, with John Walker and all the One Division stuff. Uh, so it would be cool. And again, I think it would. He he was technically the um, the master of a domain called Limbo at one point in time, which is from the Terminatrix saga, which a lot of this episode came from. And Limbo could be. The void could be a stand-in for limbo. You know yeah, what I mean? Good. Uh, Which is something that you know only has me kind of speculating more and more towards: is it Kang? Is it Amortis? What is it? But I wouldn't be surprised if we're sideswiped by a very popular theory that I'm seeing that it's just going to be another variant of Loki, and Loki's actually at the helm of this. Yeah, that is a real possibility, though. Not one that I'm looking forward to if it happens. Uh, I will live with it, and it will be fine, but it will not be optimal. <laughs> I just mm-hmm. I just want a king. That's all I want. Uh, one thing to mention is that uh, in Limbo, there is a castle Limbo. So, uh, and that was kind of what we saw there at the end. Uh, that is 100% what we saw at the end. Mm-hmm. There's also the Council of Kangs. Which are like a big, uh, it's a big Rick and Morty ripoff of, no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, yeah. yeah, no, uh, I imagine the Council of Kings and the Council of Reeds from the comics were both inspirations for the Council of Ricks from Rick and Morty. Uh, Which that episode was written by um showrunner and creator Michael Waldron mm-hmm. who has admitted that he took that idea from Jonathan Hickman's fantastic forerun of the Council of Reeds yes. but much like how Reed Richards would meet with a council of a million multiversal versions of himself Kang also had a similar thing where the Kang the conquerors of the multiverse <laughs> would all you know hang out want to be in control and hang out and and cause all sorts of fucking hell on behalf of everybody you know (laughs) while waiting for the after credits scene there's been 
not I wouldn't call them clues or Easter eggs in the credits. Um, some of the other series had a lot of clues and Easter eggs in the credits. Both of the other series, yes, rather, yes, but yeah. yeah, they they eliminate some of the names from the cast and they they have them blacked out where it'll say featuring and then just black out the name and they're being revealed slowly with each episode one of them was jamie alexander a couple of them were um featuring um richard e grant or featuring jack vale and there were two more that were still blacked out this week so we know that there's going to be two actors that we don't surprise actors basically making appearances hopefully next week based on that alone um my predictions travis are jonathan majors and potentially renee russo or chris hemsworth i'd like to see them bring back some characters from the thor franchise especially um frigga you know, played by renee russo loki's mother because her death has been a huge part of not only Marvel trying to make Thor the Dark World the most important film ever made, but also the character development of both Thor and Loki. So I think that would be interesting. Yeah, I mean... Who do you think they'd be? With Loki, that's the first time you see him regret anything, pretty much. When he realizes that he was kind of responsible for his mother's death. Um, For me, I'd be down with Renee Russo as well. I didn't realize that there's a strong probability of of uh, two people being in this finale. I do think Jonathan Majors is going to be one of them. Uh, and if we go with Immortus, <laughs> like, I don't know if they're going to have like a second actor to play like an older version of uh, Jonathan Majors' character. Uh, Immortus does seem a little older. Uh, and uh, Lovecraft Country was actually recently announced not to be returning for a second season. So the guy's schedule is cleared from, you know, the commitments mm-hmm. of that, that uh, filming a television series would make, which is a time consuming thing. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. And off the wall one would be uh, Yellow Jacket. Uh, that you can say Corey Stoll. Yes. Yes. Okay. Him, since if he's really being rumored for. Uh, Quantum Mania. It kind of makes sense to have like an underling uh, for this uh, other big bad. Uh, but it'd be a weird pitch. But so was Red it Skull would be and Vormir. <laughs> it would be indeed a very very weird pick. But it would also be a nice selling point for Ant-Man three, a property that hasn't seen the box office numbers that like an Iron Man or a guardians of the galaxy has, you know, it's not like Ant-Man movies don't do well at the box office. They just are the highest grossing well, it, of the Marvel solo films. It's one of the downsides of making a movie called Ant-Man. It's not, <laughs> it's just not going to be as big as the other franchises and fun is intended there, but it wasn't when I started that sentence. No, but it was beautiful, and I, I give you uh, 10 comedy points for that one, Travis. Yeah. That, that worked really well. I mean, we saw the the yellow jacket helmet. We know that the quantum realm is the spectral transportation highway for yes, Earthlings to time travel. Yeah, yeah so it like, kind of makes sense. And like, if the show that everybody's watching is setting up, you know – ant-man franchise and kang is being set up as the big bad for fantastic four but he's being introduced here like 
it would be cool and it would be very good marketing also, mm -hmm. <laughs> which at the end of the day, Disney just wants to make us all kind of shills to not only produce quality entertainment, but get us to buy that quality entertainment. So it, it would make sense, um, but it would be a fucking an odd duck of a pick, yeah, in yeah. my opinion. Yeah. What do you think? This is something I don't know if we've actually talked about on this show, uh, but Doctor Strange, uh, whenever he's looking at all the possible timelines, do you think he saw the TVA in any of those? Uh, well, how the TVA exists in that null space makes me think no. Yeah, well, for me, I, I also think no, but I think looking isn't touching. So if he had tried to bring any of those other timelines to pass, then he probably ran into the TVA, in my opinion. Yeah, that's true. And if all of those timelines were inevitably, you know, branched or something like that, or pruned rather, it would have been something he saw up until that point, And then he would have encountered the TVA, but would those pruning events necessitate an apocalypse? And would you be able to see the events pertaining to an apocalypse as a sorcerer? Because we know the TVA, those events are seemingly undetectable. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yes, yes, somewhat. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying, but yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, man. Um, that kind of brings us to the end of the episode. Yes, so yes. Uh, with that in mind, I think it's a good time for us to jump into our reviews. Please remember that if you'd like to tell us what you thought of the episode if you'd like to discuss anything marvel related we are always at the mcu beyond infinity facebook group it's a great group that's very active where this week we have a lot to talk about we have loki we have black widow recently premiering and there's all sorts of fun stuff going on at the beyond infinity facebook page you can also email us at the mcu beyond infinity podcast at gmail.com Tell us what you think. We'll read it on the air. Um, yeah, with that in mind, let's jump into our reviews, Travis. All right. Tell us how you really feel. Let's read this. So our rating system is one of six infinity stones seeing as this is the mcu beyond infinity podcast uh was one being the worst six being the best half stars or half stones always acceptable uh with that in mind travis episode five of disney plus's limited series loki journey into mystery one out of six infinity stones what say you my friend this one was a five and a half uh out of six for me you cashed that check that Marvel sent us? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it cleared. I, uh, Hell yeah. Uh, this was kind of the prime example of these series of living up to their potential for me. Uh, like, when they announced it, this was kind of what I was hoping for. Uh, and uh, I don't know how I'm going to say it's my favorite episode of MCU television yet, but... Uh, it's the most ambitious, I think, with the amount of CGI and stuff like that. Uh, WandaVision and Falcon and the Winter Soldier were more grounded. And that's just easier to do, I think, without uh, spending as much on computer stuff. 
<laughs> or practical stuff. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And they, uh, <laughs> they, uh, there were a ton of great character moments. All these new characters get their time to shine for the most part, and it's a really fun episode. I'm right there with you where this really does seem like it's living up to the promise of what I had initially anticipated that being a kind of cosmic yet character driven, timey wimey science fiction series Mm -hmm. where we get a ton of the fantastical, but we also get a ton of really intimate character driven moments grounded by performances that don't have the right to be as good as they are. Richard E. Grant wearing pajamas flailing about like a madman should not have the emotional resonance on paper that it ended up having on screen. But because of those performances, because of the writing and because of the filmmaking and the photography and the CGI and everything that you had mentioned before, it really does. Um, Hiddleston again, showing up, but not just Hiddleston, the supporting characters as well. And even though we've only had five episodes to introduce these characters, I care about Mobius and Owen Wilson is selling it. And I care about Sylvie and I like the turns that Renslayer is having. Even at the end of the day, I know she's the bad guy. There is that moment where the portrayal is just so good when she does play coy and she does say, trust me. I'm like, I want to, (laughs) you know, and, and I'm enjoying all of that so much. Also, listen, like I love things that are strange and I love things that are metatextual. You know, I'm a huge fan of, of David Lynch, especially, you know, Twin Peaks. Um, I'm a huge fan of, you know, stuff that Dan Harmon's done, like Community, that are just, you know, meta jokes about meta things. And WandaVision was a wonderful series, and they played with those metatextual elements of it being a TV show about how we treat television made for television. I also love you know, action and spy stuff and the military industrial side of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, that little pocket. I thought you were going to the, say you love the military industrial complex. <laughs> I mean, I do have an American flag of headband course. on right yeah, now, yeah. Um, but that's just because I'm a fucking American. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, I, I bleed rocks, flags, and eagles, bro. Um, but... I do like that pocket, those Black Widows, which we'll talk about at length shortly. So stay tuned for that uh, Captain America series, especially, you know, the Winter Soldier and uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. But what I love the most is genre. And I love science fiction. And I love shows like Doctor Who and Star Trek. And this is just more akin to my personal taste buds. And going back to delivering on the promises that I kind of had anticipated just knowing that the show was coming about and what it was. I'm thinking Doctor Who with superheroes. And while we have gotten so many of those elements, this was the first time where it kind of culminated not into a finale, because again, this isn't the finale yet, but it, it everything kind of came to a head and it really connected for me here more than anywhere. So I'm going to give it five and a half out of six infinity stones, the same as you on this living up to the hype B 
being the science fiction time traveling romp that I wanted, and then exceeding my expectations, not only in terms of the performances that are being delivered, but the characters that these performers are portraying and me actually caring about them, whether they've been on screen for two seconds, like Alligator Loki, or the entire show, like Mobius and Renslayer, or from the beginning of the MCU, much like our Hiddleston Loki. So we have a lot of podcasting to do this weekend, seeing as how Black Widow has been recently released, the first Marvel Cinematic Universe theatrical release since 2019's Endgame. And I'm really looking forward to discussing that with you, Travis. But I think this would be a good time right before we sign off to talk about a little bit of news and just um, a couple side notes on the Marvel Cinematic Universe and what we can expect. So you want to jump into the news ever so quickly? Yes, yes. Pretty much the only thing was a, a new trailer for uh, the What If TV show, which is coming out in August. I uh, I forgot to write down the actual date, but uh, yes, I'm excited for the series. Uh, Marvel animation is something I can definitely get into, though uh, most of the traditional cartoons they have going at the moment don't have the greatest animation. This looks to be quite a bit better. And it obviously has the direct link to the MCU. Uh, yeah, this trailer was really crazy, man. We get Captain Britain, we get zombies, we get Space T'Challa, we get Howard the Duck. Um, it seems like What If has kind of been lost in the shuffle of Marvel's live-action TV slate. And its implications for the greater Marvel Cinematic Universe are kind of minimal in comparison to the rest, especially from what we've seen and one thing that we saw in uh, Black Widow, which we'll talk about later. Um, but it's a really fun idea. It's also going to be 10 episodes, which is going to be the longest running of the uh, the Marvel um, Disney Plus series, too, they, which have mostly yes. been six or eight at this point. I'm curious to know if they're dropping it all at once or are they doing the weekly model? Uh, also, what the uh, runtime is going to be. Uh, yeah. Uh, I uh, I like that they managed to get a lot of the actors back. There are some that aren't the same. Like I don't think Chris Evans and Robert Downey Jr. are coming back to this. But oh, you haven't seen the "We Got This Covered" article where they said uh, Marvel and Disney are secretly replacing Brie Larson because she's not like in this show, like oh, all sorts Jesus. of silly. Neither is Benedict Cumberbatch. But yeah, yeah, I, I didn't. I did see the headline and. I put two and two together what they were going to try to sell their garbage <laughs> site. Uh, this is also the final portrayal of T'Challa yes. by the late Chaz Chadwick Boseman after his uh, untimely passing last year too, which is bit is going to be a bittersweet moment. I think for a lot of fans. Yeah. Yeah. I, bittersweet is the right word for it. Uh, on the one hand, it's nice to get a little bit more uh, acting from him uh, with his untimely passing, but it's not in the main proper universe, uh, which is 
Uh, a shame, since him getting to flesh that character out over multiple movies would have been glorious, but... It really would have been. Yeah. It's one of the more tragic things that's happened to a franchise in a very long time, in my opinion. Like, uh, <laughs> akin to Paul Walker in the Fast franchise. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, it is very comfortable to get, uh... But they did keep Brian alive in the Fast and the Furious franchise. They have not killed his character yet. I... Uh, Yes, I I'm curious to see how they handle it with the MCU, like, uh, uh, with the character itself, not just uh, what they've decided to do as far as filling uh, the role of Black Panther. Uh, yeah, I am too. I know that they're actually going to start filming uh, Wakanda Forever sooner than later. I think it's I think it's already uh, started, hasn't it? Uh, uh, it's either started like, or scheduled. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one question I had about what if, though, do you think this show that we're currently watching, Loki, is going to lead directly into it? Kind of. I do. Yeah. I, 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 I wasn't I expecting that whenever we started this. I expected what if just to be a fun throwaway thing, but to have one of the main shows lead directly into it is a nice touch. Uh, and potentially one of the mainline cinematic releases, knowing that we have a multiverse of madness coming, my friend. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. I think it's really cool that the framing sequence for every, um, you know, much like the comic book where every issue of the comic was a lot to the watcher telling the readers how if one thing changed, the whole world might've turned out completely different, you know, kind of being this member of this uh, extremely powerful and I immortal beings who are just committed to watching, or if like you're a DC fanboy like me, uh, monitoring. Um, <laughs> uh, Jeffrey Wright is going to be voicing Owatu, which is which is slick. I'm a huge fan of his. Yeah, He's yeah. going to be the new uh, Commissioner Gordon, correct? Uh, yes, he is. A great actor. A great choice for the watcher. Would be a great pick for something else in the MCU too, at some point, if they so chose. Uh. Yeah, man. And uh, I mean, the thing starts off kind of with a bang. Like, we see the first scene from the Marvel Cinematic Universe with Iron Man in the truck taking the selfies. I wonder if they'll have the MySpace joke. That would be really funny. <laughs> um, but the first big change that we see is Eric Killmonger, the Black Panther villain, saving Tony Stark from the bomb at the beginning of the first Iron Man movie that, you know, catalyzed him to becoming Iron Man. So that would be really crazy because, I mean, we see fucking... Killmonger and and uh, Romanda, who was played by um, Angela Bassett, yes. you know his his stepmother and the Queen of Wakanda, kind of leading forces in in T'Challa, which is really cool. We we see Thor versus a bunch of Ultrons in Magipur, which is is really cool. Um, they identify Peggy Carter's character as Captain Carter and not. Captain Britain, yeah, yeah, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, yeah, uh, choice there. Uh, yes, maybe they'll wait <laughs> till they introduce Captain Britain proper before they just throw him into a what-if scenario. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's kind of built for a what-if scenario or something along yes, these yes, lines. Because, uh, I mean, we've, we've mentioned on, on previous episodes, but for the listeners who, who haven't, 
you know, made it through our entire catalog. Shame on you. Please go back. It is available <laughs> wherever you do get podcasts and tell your friends, rate, review, subscribe, blah, 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 blah. But Captain Britain is not what you think. He's not the British Captain America. No, he no. guards the nexus of all realities. And it's a very bizarre time traveling kind of guy who has more associations with like a man thing than well, he does. Well, I was going to uh, say, like, it, it's the nexus of all realities, but it's like a different one than man thing guards. It's our. I guess mm-hmm. with it being this weird multiversal thing, there's plenty of them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we see Peggy Carter actually fighting uh, Shumagorath or some sort of tentacle mm-hmm. monster kind of thing in or Cthulhu kind of looking thing. And Doctor Strange, which I thought was cool. Oh, yeah. The Gu- the Guardian stuff, I think, is is going to be my favorite and it's it's space black panther like mm-hmm. what if yondu picked up t'challa as a child rather than um star lord and peter quill and joined the ravengers which is going to be a ton of fun man. that'd be an interesting way to take the uh the movie version of wakanda as well since they've done it in the comics you know as far as like the intergalactic empire wakanda i love that stuff yeah yeah i, I love mean, that, that eventually I mean, they seem to have a very strong emphasis on Wakanda for the future of the MCU, and that's cool. Um, down for it. Yeah, I, I have a feeling that the uh, the Marvel Zombies stuff is going to blow the fuck up, too. Um, I, I'm not a huge fan yeah, of I'm that comic either. run. Uh, it, it's okay, yeah. but... Uh... It kind of feels like, like 101 for... I hate sounding like an elitist or like, oh, some noob picked up fucking Marvel zombies, but it's, it's, it's such a pitchy pitch. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's, but I, uh, it looks cool. It looks cool. I'm just turned out on zombies. <laughs> yeah, me too, man. Yeah, it, it's hard to get me excited about that. Uh. Yeah, but I mean, one thing that that comic series did have is Sean Phillips did the artwork for the first bit of it who works with Ed Brubaker a lot. Oh yeah. He yeah. draws criminal mm-hmm. and, and that stuff is cool. How you feel about some more Howard, the duck too, my friend. <laughs> uh, I'm down for it. Uh, Seth Green is reprising the role as, Oh really? Yes. yes. Uh, so that should be fun. Uh, Seth Green of, uh, Oh, I'm thinking of Jamie Kennedy. I'm oh, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say of son of the mask fame, <laughs> but I'm, th- I'm thinking of another like lame dude. Who was, like, oh, a yeah, bunch yeah. Of stuff. Yeah. yeah, I know. The uh, Family Guy voice actor, I imagine, is what he's most famous for now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the John Singleton joint. Uh, oh, no, it wasn't John Singleton, but uh, the Italian job with Jason Statham <laughs> and most deaf. <laughs> Which was just like a kind of exciting, but two hour long Mini Cooper commercial. <laughs> uh, I mean, before we wrap up, we should note there is a little tiny bit of news the box office numbers for Black Widow are coming in and it's poised to capture a p- pandemic era record where they're estimating around $87.8 million in its opening weekend alone. And it's grossed $39.5 million just on Fridays, making it the biggest single day gross since the onset of COVID-19. Um, again, 
huge. The benchmark was previously set by uh, my beloved Fast and the Furious franchise with F9 uh, so far making 70 million in its opening weekend. So if this film could top out at, you know, where it's being predicted at around 87, but even 100 million, that means like, you know, Marvel's back in business, mm-hmm. theaters are back in business. And I don't believe that those numbers are taking into consideration the premiere access as well. Um, so it's just nice again, as somebody who's kind of concerned with streaming and the rise of, you know, VOD same day as, you know, cinemas, I've been a little freaked out that it's going to take over and we're going to get limited theatrical releases and larger VOD releases. Mm -hmm. But seeing this, they're making their fucking money over there at the box office. And that's a positive thing, not only for Marvel and for guys like you and I, Travis, who look forward to these kinds of things, but also cinema in general. Yes. If yes. you want to consider superhero movies cinema, as Martin Scorsese would say. Not, <laughs> uh, yes, I couldn't have said it better. Uh, that's pretty much exactly how I feel about it, too. Uh, I'm happy for the theaters uh, who definitely need a paycheck at this point. Uh, and Marvel in general. I want to see these movies until I die. I actually, I hope that they fall off a little bit before I die, so that I'm not missing anything good. <laughs> yeah, we've joked in the past where one of the things that keeps us from being like, "Hey, at least I get to wake up tomorrow, and maybe I'll know a little bit more about what happens in the Marvel Cinematic Universe before I perish untimely." Mm-hmm. Uh, is a huge, a huge selling point for being alive nowadays. It is. So. It is. Uh... <laughs> um. I really have nothing left to say. I'm so excited to be talking Black Widow with you. I'm so excited to hear what our listeners have to say, not only about Loki, but Black Widow. But Mm. we're getting two major Marvel Cinematic releases coinciding with one another. Yeah, yeah. Loki's not even done yet. And we, yeah, wild. Uh, Yeah, it's like a real fever pitch for not only comic book fans, but film fans and television fans. And it's just, it's crossing all mediums and, it's it's consuming my entire reality, Travis, and it's exhausting. But yes. we will be here to podcast another day because that's our glorious purpose at this point, my friend. Mm-hmm. And with that in mind, we will see you very soon with our Black Widow recap. I am John. I am Travis. Please tell a friend. 